Hi everyone, and welcome to another episode of Riskologists. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Optimize and hosted by me, Andy Haslam. This season, we'll be speaking with the key decision makers who reap the benefits and gain the most value from effective risk management. We'll be exploring their perceptions, interactions, and experiences, as well as understanding what they personally have found to be the most rewarding and beneficial aspects that the discipline has to offer. We hope these conversations provoke thought and discussion amongst both risk and non-risk professionals to lift the lid on how its effective delivery can add real value to the roles of the beneficiaries. So without further ado, let's get into it. So hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Riskologists. I'm your host, Andy Haslam, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Jason Dardis. So Jason, welcome to Riskologists. Hi, Andy. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. It's a pleasure. Um, so we kind of always start off this with a little bit of a question that we pose to everybody, and that's how's your podcast game? Have you done anything like this before? Do you listen to them at all? Uh, I, I have done a project management podcast uh, before. It was about three years ago, uh, pre-COVID. Uh, but that's my only experience of partaking in one. Mm-hmm. Uh, my podcast listening game is probably average at best. Uh, I, I'd squeeze one in on my commute every now and again. Every now and again. Yeah, if I need us. Yes, yeah. If there's something, a topic I need to get up to speed on, uh, for example, I'll, I'll throw on a podcast and see see what's there. The last one I listened to was about grind-mounted solar farms. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Really interesting stuff. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Um, as always, we like to kick things off with a bit of a journey to date. So how you started in your career, uh, where it's taken you, and a bit of a timeline up to this very point recording the podcast today. So fire away. Um, I suppose right, right back to the very start, I grew up working on building sites um so i think it was inevitable that i was going to end up in the industry so all of my uh weekends uh midterm breaks summer holidays were all, were all working on building sites so mm-hmm. um i got into uh, carpentry and painting predominantly uh, so when i went to college i studied construction technology and then mm-hmm. moved into architectural technology and i worked in an architectural practice for about the first four years roughly of, of my working career um, I then moved to Dublin Airport to, to DAA and I've been there ever since and, and the airport's been relatively good to me um, I've I've been uh, good enough to be able to progress up through the ranks and uh, my current role is program director for for one of the key programs in in Dublin Airport so we manage and oversee the implementation of the capital investment program there uh, anything from building extensions, uh, retail fit-outs, and uh, more more recently into sort of baggage systems and passenger security screening systems. So that, that keeps us fairly busy. Yeah, it's covering a huge amount of things at the airport. Then it's uh, yeah, wealth of wealth of experience. Um, before we get stuck into the topic a little more detail, um, as after all, this is a risk management podcast. Uh, just briefly, what has your experience been with risk management over your career, and, and what sort of relationship have you had with it? It's fair to say uh, I, I wasn't a huge engager in, in risk management in the earlier part of my my career. Uh, it, it's certainly been an evolution of appreciation for the risk management process, I suppose. But uh, happy to say that I, I, I'm now turned turned the corner. I'm, I'm fully on board, and uh, I, I can certainly see the value in in everything that the risk management process brings, and and it plays such a vital role in in all of our projects now. Oh, it's great to hear. It's always good to get a bit of a positive response to it. That's for sure. Um, 
as everyone can already tell from the title of the topic today, we're going to be discussing uh, effective facilitation. So we'll get into this in a little bit more detail shortly. But from your perspective, you know, why did you choose this topic in particular to get stuck into today? For, for me, uh, effective facilitation really bridges the gap between non-project professionals involved in projects, so project managers, architects, engineers, um, and the risk management process. A, a good facilitator can, can really join the two together. Mm. Um, I, I've experienced the, the data input man, uh, facilitators, the risk preacher, uh the uh the, the obstructive guys who are that's not a risk that's a consequence type of thing um but i've also experienced a very very good and and the proactive encouraging sessions where everyone feels like they can contribute regardless of their level of, of risk management uh, they may, may just have an issue and uh they, they need to have that fielded and they need to have that i suppose tweaked and, and put into the risk model so uh, a good facilitator can can really turn the corner and and make risk management much more valuable for a project. The outputs from a well facilitated workshop can really uh, bring value to the project, and it's not just about the facilitation from, I suppose, a risk modelling perspective. It, it's about the psychology of it as well. So it might be fifty percent data capture, fifty percent psychology, controlling the room, working everybody, and, and making sure to get the most out of everybody. But it's, it's really interesting you mentioned that, Jason. I mean, it's, you know, from our perspective, you'll, you'll probably find that most, you'll probably find from most risk professionals that psychology is just is just as if not more important than the knowledge of the theory. And um, we always kind of come back to the old adage, garbage in, garbage out. It, it isn't just yeah. a case of, you know, taking information at face value. It's so important to kind of scrutinize it and dig a bit deeper and really understand the why. Um, could there be any biases and heuristics at play? Am I being told what I or the others in the room want to hear? Is there a bit of an echo chamber with the people in the room? So there's always loads to consider. Um, but from your perspective, what do you feel makes a good facilitator? You know, how do we get the best out of the team and the session? Um, for, for me, that the best facilitators have, have an almost natural ability to turn a, a poorly articulated issue from, from someone in the project team, whether it be a stakeholder or project manager, whoever it is, uh, really dive deeper, understand that issue and, and shape it into something that's an effective input for a risk model. Mm. Um, I, I'm the worst culprit of this. I, I just blurt out, we, we've got a problem. <laughs> and a really good risk facilitator can just turn that into something that works with the model and, and can really plug it in. Mm -hmm. um, I suppose the next thing would be the ability to control the room and re really, really collate all the information that's being fed through the room. Because if you're in a session that's got 20, 30 people in it, um, it's really hard to control that room. It's really hard to, to take the valuable inputs and, and turn them into something useful. And, and they really need to encourage and can uh, encourage people to contribute to the, to the process. Yeah, well, it's, it's another interesting point. I mean, engagement is is key, isn't it? And, and as you've mentioned, a good facilitator encourages and, and gets the best out from the people within the room. Um, from the perspective of someone who, from your own admission, maybe wasn't the, one of the biggest fans of risk to start with, um, what's what's been the best route to tackle this for you? You know, what's what's worked for you? Um, I, I think where, where the facilitator can provide an open setting, uh, allow people to freely engage with, without judging them, 
Uh, I, I think the worst thing a facilitator can do is assume that everyone in the room is a risk manager or, <laughs> or knows the risk management process. Uh, it can tend to isolate people and, and sort of discourage them from engaging in the process. Um, and, and I think a good risk manager can really take the issue that's been raised, understand it, churn it back out and, and give an idea of what an impact that's going to have on whether it be the schedule model or the cost model that, that's outputting from the risk model. So um, they can really steer the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of facilitation techniques have, have really worked best for you over the years then from that, you know, to, to, to get the best out of the people in the room, um, which you find to be the most useful when, you know, whether you're identifying or assessing risks and as a second kind of part to that question, have you have you come across any unique or creative ways of driving that engagement with people? I'll take the second part first. Okay. Jelly beans. Jelly beans okay. are the are the key to risk management. Oh, they, you heard it here first, everybody. Jelly beans are the, are the way. Yeah, world, world exclusive. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I remember arriving uh, arriving late to a risk workshop, um, and when I walked in, the room was absolutely buzzing. <laughs> there, there were twenty people in there. Everybody, uh, full team, project managers, design managers, stakeholders, consultants. There were post-its everywhere. Everyone was bouncing <laughs> ideas off each other. Uh, I, I, I had never seen a risk workshop like it. <laughs> uh, and it turns out that the facilitator Danielle had given given everyone jelly beans at the start of the meeting, while the PM talked through all of the details. Yeah. It was something so simple but it just diffused the whole situation and the whole formality of it. And uh, it, it allowed people to let their guard down and engage a little bit. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I approached Danielle during the session uh, just to say, you know, well done. This, this is a brilliant session. You're, you're going to get some really good outputs out of this. She took me aside and said, actually, I've kept you some jelly beans as well. I thought, yes, this risk management <laughs> business is not so bad after all. Exactly. Oh, I think everyone's going to be expecting jelly beans now from that. So I think it's, it's yeah. setting the bar quite high, I think, for all the rest of us now. Um, I think there's been a bit of a, a change, obviously, over the last few years, you know, with mainly with COVID coming in. There's been this shift in uh, how people are facilitating these meetings. You know, they're going to more of a web-based um, meeting platforms. Um, and as, as you can see, we're already having a meeting on Zoom here. We're not face-to-face. You know, geography plays a big part of it as well. Um but do you think that's affected getting the best out of people? You know, do, do virtual meetings suffice? Um, would you always kind of try and endeavor to have them face-to-face if, if obviously things like ge- geography allow? Yeah, I, I think there's a place for virtual meetings. Uh, um, you know, they're, they're efficient. They can pull together teams from all over the world. Uh, they're particularly good for a quick update session. Mm-hmm. But I would say it, uh, for the base build of the risk register, uh, your first workshop or your first number of workshops, uh, I think you probably get more out of it in person uh, if you have an in-person session, whether it be done by Post-its, whiteboards, Excel, what, whatever media uh, the particular facilitator is using. But I think you certainly get more out of the the building of the risk register with an in-person session. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, it's so easy for people to just turn off their cameras, turn off their mics and, and start working away on something different while the while sort of video calls are working in the background yeah so, have you uh, have you kind of had any experience with that I, I take it you know it must be a common thing with it have you found any ways of, of actually trying to to tackle that on those web-based meetings yeah yeah it, ha- it has happened certainly and i have to hold my hands up i've done it so <laughs> you know this, this is not there's no point in the finger at anybody yeah. so uh, I, i've been the one that's doing it as well mm-hmm. 
Um, I, uh, if I'm running a meeting, I, I tend to ask people to turn on their cameras. Obviously, there's a cohort of people aren't comfortable to do that, which is fine. Um, but as long as they can, they can give their uh, uh, their commitment to the meeting and they engage. That's fine. That's good. Can't ask much more, I suppose, from one of those type of meetings. Yeah. Um. So, so moving on a little bit, we've um, we we love talking to those people who used to have somewhat a bit of a you know disdain for the discipline, you know, for risk management, and but are now a convert to it. Um. You know, they have these potentially like epiphanal moments or things that have, have really kind of opened their eyes to how the benefit can can be brought from from the risk management process. Um. You know, have you had any of those kind of moments? You know, if you can talk us through maybe how that has happened. Um, was it a result of any of, of good facilitation that changed your mind, or was it something else really that that did that? Uh, I, I'm not sure if I call it an epiphany moment. Uh, <laughs> it, it's probably more of an evolution of my appreciation of of, of risk management. Uh, but I, I could certainly pick out two, two key moments that helped me turn the corner. Mm -hmm. uh, the first one I've mentioned was the jelly beans. Brilliant. Just so simple, simple, and it doesn't have to be about jelly beans. Yeah, but but a, a mechanism for diffusing the meeting and deformalizing it, uh, that so everyone can drop their guard and and yeah. get properly engaged in the process. And and the second one is, is more of a recent one. It's uh, it's tailoring of the risk model, and, and what I mean by that is different organisations have different ways of managing their risk, different ways of managing their change management process. So, um. On, on some of our more recent projects, we, we really tweaked that and tailored the, the model to suit the project and our, our own internal processes. So that, that made such a huge difference. And all of a sudden you can start to see value. Mm. You know, I mean, that's really interesting. So, I mean, what was it about the tailoring of the risk model that, that actually really helped you? Um, so I, I suppose we, we had a fairly significant value project and, and it was a brutally complex project, to be honest, it was a, a baggage project. So about 80% of the scope was already contracted and we had a remaining 20% that needed some of the original contracted work completed before we could make a decision on how we wanted to proceed with it and how we wanted to handle it. So we, we tailored the QRA and, and the overall risk model uh, through a fairly robust series of facilitation meetings. Mm. Um, we ring-fenced pots of funds into procurement budgets, contingencies, risk allowances, um, schedule allowances. And it really gave us a good opportunity to manage that through our change management process um, and through our own internal governance process. This gave our project sponsors a, a, a real sense that the project was being well managed. We were in total control of it, even though we had 20% of the, the project that wasn't even let yet. Mm. and. Uh, and, and we didn't know exactly how it was going to be let. So uh, it, it really gave that confidence that, that the project team were in control of it and the decisions that were made at change board were final. Yeah. That allowed the project to move forward at a bit more pace than it had been doing. So uh, it, it, it really, really helped us. Um, and I suppose during that same process, it's important to mention that that risk management shouldn't start shouldn't happen at the start of a project and sit on a shelf mm -hmm. uh, you, you really need to work on it through the whole project uh, update everything constant monitoring revisiting the risks and um, on that particular project we were able to apply a sort of a risk burn down I think is what you call it yeah um, and ultimately we started releasing some of the funding that had been held in contingency uh, back to our sponsors and they were able to do other things with it yeah. so as risks 
were were passed uh, or as risk likelihood was significantly reduced, we, we made a call to start releasing some of that contingency back in for other things. So always things that sponsors like to see coming back, I think that way, isn't it? It's get it out of the contingency and pass it on to something else, like you say. Yeah. Obviously talking about facilitation and, and everything within the, the topic of it today. Have you found any kind of noticeable differences in the quality of the outputs then from from things like the QRA uh, when you've been unfortunately subject to kind of poorer facilitated sessions as opposed to the really well facilitated ones with the jelly beans and, and so on? Um, and if so, what kind of differences have you noticed in those outputs from those kind of sessions? Yeah, I suppose on those outputs, the, the poorly facilitated ones don't tend to bring a whole pile of value to the project. They're the ones that tend to go on the project file or on a shelf and, and they're never really used, never referred to, um, and, and they're not bringing value to the project manager or the architect, the engineer, whoever's running the project. Um, on, on the contrary to that, a well-facilitated and well-presented risk output can, can bring real, real value to the project team. It can, it can almost guide their day-to-day activities um, and allow them to work in a much more efficient way rather than coming in in the morning, what am I going to focus on today? Well, this is happening, this is happening. And, and you might get caught up in meetings and never actually progress some of the issues on the project. So if you've got a really, really concise risk management model, really can drive the project manager's performance. They're, they're focusing on removing the boulders off the track. They're, they're working on those risks constantly. No, that is really interesting, Jason. But I'm looking at the obviously the negative ones are the, the ones where the sessions haven't been so great and the, the poorer the outputs are the ones that get shelved away. Um, you know, obviously they're not bringing any kind of value to to the the, the process and to the projects. Um, how do you think those ones could have actually been improved then? Jelly beans. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> jelly beans is the theme. I think we might change the topic to jelly beans. <laughs> um, how could they have been improved? I, I think with a more robust engagement uh, at the very outset. Um, for, from the whole team, from the stakeholders, from the contractors, from consultants, whoever's feeding into the register at a particular point in the project. And, and to do this, to, the facilitator really needs to create an environment where, where people aren't afraid to contribute. They're, they're, not, they're not going to feel silly raising what, what in their head is, is, a, is a perfectly legitimate issue and, mm-hmm. and it may be shot down. So we really need to open up those workshops to, to allow people to speak their mind. Yeah, I think it's a recurrent theme that we've had from a number of other guests that we've had on the podcast and everybody's listened to, to the episodes will have, will have seen this pop up before that it's there's never a, really a silly question. And I think if you've got a question in your head where you think, oh, I don't know whether I should be asking this, you know, nobody else seems to have asked the question as well. You could almost guarantee that out of a room of 20 people, there's probably at least two or three others who are thinking the same thing and not actually wanting to, to come across with those questions. So um, have you ever kind of found any ways yourself really in terms of trying to drag that out of people um you know as a, a facilitating yourself is there any other little trip tricks or tips and things that have that have really helped you to, to get that out of those people uh, it's, it's a tricky one uh it's really hard to encourage people and and you may have nervous people in the room you mm. may have people who are new to the organization but i i think the best thing we can collectively do as, as project professionals is just create that environment and make it comfortable for people to to speak their mind Mm-hmm. And and as you said, there's no such thing as a as a stupid question. There's no such thing as a as a bad issue either. So, uh, re- you know, uh, cre- create that environment, make it comfortable for everybody, and and let them speak their mind, and don't shoot them down when when they do yeah. raise an issue. 
yeah i think that's a really valid one at the end of it is is if you're actually doing the facilitation and you're you're heading it all yeah try not to shoot them down for for actually coming out with it and it, that helps in the encouragement i'm sure um we've touched on a little bit on on qra quantitative risk analysis um where have you really found the, the most benefit from really well executed qras yeah i, I suppose I, I, as i alluded to earlier that the real value for me in in a qra is, is one that will work with an organization's change management process. And uh, it has to work hand in glove with the cost and the schedule as well. So you, you really get an overall project picture. And if you've got that project picture, it allows the PM to, to really focus on the, on the key issues. Hmm. You know, it's, it's an employer's responsibility and, and, and we operate as, as client representatives, employer's representatives, let's, let's call it. Um, and it's the employer's responsibility to make sure that there's sufficient funding available in the budget to execute the project. And that needs to take account of any risks that might materialize during the course of the project. You know, co contractors could find unforeseen issues on, mm -hmm. on a particular site. We need to, as the project's uh, representative and the client's representative, make sure that, that there's enough money to cover that, be able to keep the project moving and uh, make sure that the, the contractor's liability are all, are all covered. Mm -hmm. And a good risk management process, a robustly constructed QRA gives us that confidence and gives us the ability to keep the project moving when these things crop up. And we always make sure that we're, we're not going to run out, of, run out of budget before the end of the project. So it's, it's really, really important. Yeah, it's definitely one thing you don't want to be running out of. It's the budget and the time, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I mean, let's start to kind of wrap things up a little bit with this. You know, what what would your advice be to any risk professional listening to this, uh, particularly at the start of their career, who is maybe struggling with engagement or getting the most out of their project teams? Uh, I'd always encourage risk managers not to get frustrated, uh, particularly with non-risk professionals in the room. Um, everybody has a valid voice and a good risk professional can can really help those individuals who maybe can't properly articulate an issue into a risk uh, that they can really help uh, articulate those those issues so it fits into the input criteria on whatever system is, is being used by the risk manager. So a good, a good facilitator will, uh, will, will help these individuals tease out the concerns, get some meaningful inputs and uh, really, really bring value. So I suppose that that's what I would pass on. Uh, if anyone is listening, don't get frustrated with people like me who are not risk professionals. No, it's a, a, another amazing, great bit of advice there, Jason. So thank you very much for that. Regular listeners will know that at the end of the podcast, we always ask our, our guests uh, the same question. And that one is, if you could give yourself one bit of advice at the start of your career that you've maybe picked up along the way, you know, what would it be? I, I think it would definitely be one size does not fit all. Um the same process doesn't work on every project and, and don't just tick the box because that's the process that's been used before really really tailor tailor your, your risk management strategy to your project and make it work for you uh, risk management can be flexible talk to your risk manager about how to tailor your strategy so it can work for your project and and set the appropriate level of detail and, and don't let risk become a burden and I, I think that was the biggest thing looking back at myself I, I saw risk management as a burden and it, it was this thing that you had to do every week or every couple of weeks or every month or whatever it was. And uh, it just took away from time where you could be solving the issues rather than, you know, putting them into a, an Excel spreadsheet. Yeah. So uh, I, I would go back and, and try and say, 
Font size doesn't fit all. It's not a burden. Use it to your value. Well, that's another, another great bit of advice. And I think a lot of people could really do with taking that on board as well. Um, you know, there, there is always that thing of it's just a tick box exercise. It's, uh, you know, we're just here to, to to go through the motions of of doing the risk process and not really getting the best best from it. And, you know, having that thought that one size doesn't fit all, it can be tailored to, to make it work for you, uh, I think is a great bit of advice. There. So, you know, appreciate that, Jason. Thanks very much. Uh, so that brings us really towards the end of the podcast. And it just leaves me to to thank you very much again, Jason, for your time and for your, your valuable insight today. Um, so if any of our listeners would like to contact you regarding the episode or anything we've mentioned within it, um, you know, how's, how is it best for them to get in contact with you? Uh, my, my LinkedIn page is up to date, so probably best to start there. So just for anyone listening, that's Jason Dardis. Um, so yeah, have a look on there and uh, check him out and obviously contact him if uh, if you need anything or contact us as well if there's anything that's been brought up in the in the podcast that you'd like to discuss any further with but again thanks very much jason it's been uh, it's been a blast so thanks very much absolutely no i was, I was really delighted to, to come on board so thanks for having me andy oh, it's been great to have you thanks very much and uh, everybody stay tuned for another episode soon thank you well that's it for this week if you've enjoyed this episode of Riskologists, please make sure to follow Optimize on our social media platforms where you can subscribe to this podcast, be notified of the latest releases and help us broaden our reach to the wider risk community. You can also find the full back catalogue from season one where we've interviewed some of the discipline's most renowned thought leaders around the industry's most pressing topics. If you'd like to get in touch, either as a future guest or with any subject suggestions you'd like to hear covered, please contact us using the address in the podcast notes below. And please join us next time where we'll be hearing the thoughts of another key decision maker and their experiences with risk management. Until then, thanks for listening and take care.